This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Bids for connection can be any verbal or nonverbal indication from your partner that they are looking to reach out to you. It might be a glance over the table while the kids are melting down that you cut off their crust over the toast. That would be a nonverbal gesture. It might be their hand on your back at the end of the day or as you're making dinner. Nonverbal gesture. Or there are things that are verbally said that might not even sound like I'm trying to get your attention, but are ways that they are trying to reach you. And it's almost like saying, do you see me? Can you see me? Can you notice me? I know you are doing the best that you can right now. Your relationships matter to you. You are important. And yet over time, we get stuck. We get lost or we stop showing up as our true self. We get hung up on the stories we tell ourselves, the comparisons, or feeling like we are not good enough. I'm Not Your Shrink is a podcast aimed at helping you feel connected to yourself, to others, and to live a life that is in line with what matters most to you. I'm Dr. Tracy Dalgleish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair and being a wife and mother to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Let's dive in. Today's conversation is for our people pleasers, for those of you who are caregivers and empaths. And I know so many of you can relate to stepping into this pleasing role. So I'm so excited to jump into today's conversation. But before we do, I have some exciting news that I have been waiting and waiting to share with you. So if you haven't seen it already, here it is. My book, I didn't sign up for this. A couple's therapist shares real life stories of breaking patterns and finding joy in relationships, including her own, is officially ready for pre-order and it comes out on September 12th. I keep forgetting to tell people when it's actually going to land on your front step. Um, Gosh, there's so much to say about this book. But first, I want to tell you that pre-orders are one of the most generous things that you could do to help support me, the work I'm doing here on the podcast, as well as on Instagram, on my blog and my newsletters, because it lets me know, it lets others know that this is a book that is needed. And so those pre-orders are so important. And I know many people are asking questions around the book. So yes, it will be available in a few weeks to purchase as a Kindle order. And there will also be an audiobook. I can't wait to go on this journey with you, which means you will take me in your ears, whatever you are doing, and I will read through the entire book with you. And that will also be available to order. 
And as a major thank you for ordering the book ahead of time, I am including some exclusive bonuses with your pre-order. Immediately, you will receive my guide for difficult conversations. This is a 27-page guide with scripts and step-by-step laid out for you so that you can start tackling those hard conversations that maybe you've tried and they've gone off the rails, or maybe you've just been avoiding them. Maybe they're just you know, a hard space to go into. I'm giving you step-by-step on how to walk through that in my scripts guide. There are going to be so many other fun bonuses along the way in the coming weeks. And there will also be a ticket included to the live book launch event. So what is the book actually about? I wanted to share stories of what it looks like in couples therapy. I wanted to show you what couples actually fight about, what what everyday couples fight about. And I wanted to show you that it's not the sex, the kids, the in-laws, but rather it is these old patterns that we get stuck in, our attachment wounds, our attachment fears and longings. And these are what guide us into the struggles in our relationship. And ultimately what I do in my office, what I do in these stories is I show you how to build interdependence. Because here's what I've noticed over the last several years is that we are so fearful of becoming dependent and codependent on our partners. In fact, clients come into my office and say, Dr. Tracy, I don't want to be codependent. Am I codependent? And we have to break through that. But the reality is that for many of us in our early childhood experiences, we didn't learn what it meant to build autonomy while also balancing intimacy and connection with another person. And so we carry forward these patterns of fusion, of blending in with the other person, of losing ourselves only to end up feeling more disconnected. So I'm going to walk you through four stories of clients in my office. One couple is tackling the mental load with a newborn. Another couple is blending their family and dealing with a really difficult ex-wife. Another couple is dealing with a toxic mother mother-in-law. And then I have an individual who shows up for therapy and she's coming to therapy because her partner won't attend. There's a hook in this book. And this one is really vulnerable for me because as I entered into writing these stories, and I love stories, we are made of stories. Think about it. The stories that your parents tell you, your caregivers about their life, the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves, other people in the world, and then the stories we create. We're made of stories and we learn through stories, which is why this book is not your traditional self-help book of here are your four steps to improve your relationship. But instead, these are real stories of people who have struggled and had bumps along the way and at moments where truthfully as a couples therapist I didn't know if they were going to be able to make these changes as I was writing these pages I also realized that I needed to be on them because one of the biggest things that people show up with in therapy or if we're on social media or just in general we think ah therapists they have it all together they know all the strategies they do all the things and There's this moment that I I go through in the book, several moments actually within my own marriage, where I thought, what's wrong with me? I'm a couples therapist. I should know how to get out of this. Why am I stuck in the depths of resentment? Why am I not able to change all of this? 
And so it would have been a disservice to you if I kept myself out of these pages. So I'm showing up with you in this book and I can't wait for you to get it. Okay. So if you are looking to grab the book, I would be so grateful for you. Head over to drtracyd.com forward slash book. I have all the links for you. So that's drtracyd.com forward slash book. And all the links are there for you to pre-order and then to also submit your order so that I can send you those bonuses and you can be part of all of the exciting things that are coming our way in the next few weeks as I am launching this book. All right, let's pop into today's question. And today's question is about bids for connection. And it comes from you. The question is, I would love to know your thoughts on choosing to respond to bids for those of us recovering people pleasers, caretakers, empaths who prioritize others over themselves. Oh, this is such a good question because of course, when we're looking at bids for connection, this is a key healthy piece in our relationship. We want to respond to our partner But at the same time, as I talk about in the book, we don't want to lose ourselves. We need to ensure that we are showing up with our own autonomy, our own independence, while also nurturing this connection and the intimacy between us and our partners. I'm going to talk about what bids for connection look like, as well as ways that we can respond to these. But first, I want to hang out in people pleasing. So let's look at some themes and examples of what it looks like. Let's look at what people pleasing is not, in my own opinion, in terms of my clinical opinion. And then also, let's talk about two different types of people pleasing. And then we're going to find how you can respond to this really important piece in our relationship. Let's look at some of those themes and examples of how people pleasing can show up for you and go ahead and see which of these you have a strong yes to, maybe a sometimes to, and also maybe a no. Saying yes when you want to say no. Putting others' feelings before your own. Staying quiet in disagreements or avoiding disagreements altogether. Believing you can't do something without the help of others. Keeping unhealthy relationships. So you might even pursue them when there are nonverbal cues that they're upset with you or they're not there with you. Problem solving when you aren't asked to. Feeling preoccupied with what other people think of you. Feeling guilty when you do tell people no. Blaming yourself for someone else's actions and feelings. Maybe you feel like you never have any free time because you are always doing things for other people. You neglect your own needs in order to do things for others. You pretend to agree with people, even though you feel differently. When I went through this list and here I am sitting authentically with you, there were several on this list that I've been tackling for a really long time. And I want to emphasize that for many, people-pleasing is an unconscious process. And this is really important because what can start to happen as we become more reflective and more aware of this pattern or this way of being is that we can get into this push-pull experience where internally it feeds into a sense of self-worth, where it, it tells us we're good, right? We're good when we care for others. We're good when others are happy. 
But then when we break out of these patterns, it can also start to feel really hard. And so it's almost as if we need to start practicing sitting in discomfort. And when we start to change people pleasing, we might actually start to feel stuck. And we need to identify when these things are no longer working for us. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by Factor. There are many times in the week when I need to phone it in for dinner. It's been a full day of clients, the kids are having big feelings, or I'm just tired. But I don't just want to reach for fast food. I want something that is delicious, ready to eat, affordable, and includes a nutritious meal. And Factor's ready-to-eat meals, snacks like my go-to midday bites, and smoothies all meet what I am looking for. Factor's pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals are delivered right to your door. It doesn't get any easier than that. And I love that they have over 35 different options a week to choose from. And they have over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. Something I'm really conscious about right now is my budgeting around food. So Factor has done the math for us and it is less expensive than takeout and it doesn't compromise on nutrition and taste. Plus, there's so much flexibility. You can choose from six to 18 meals per week and you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Join me and take the extra load out of meal prep and menu planning. Head to factormeals.com slash INYS50 and use the code they've gifted to my community, INYS50, to get 50% off. That's code INYS50 at factormeals.com slash INYS50 and save 50% off and make this week's meal planning and menu so much easier. Let's define people pleasers. All right. So when I go into the research, the research actually calls people pleasing sociotropy. Here are some definitions that you might have heard. A people pleaser has a strong urge to please others, even at the expense of the self and your own well-being. You tend to focus outward and on other people. There's a desire to put others before yourself to avoid conflict. And what's really important is that people pleasers are highly attuned to others. And they are often agreeable, helpful, kind and compassionate. But on the flip side of the coin, people pleasers also struggle to really advocate for themselves, for their own feelings and for their own needs. And this can lead to a really difficult pattern of self-sacrificing, self-abandonment and self-neglect. And once we spiral into that, then we can often then experience internalized feelings of anger, rage, and resentment. A model of therapy that I work from is called schema therapy, which was created by Jeffrey Young. And in his popular book for the public called Reinventing Your Life, he walks you through a quiz where you can identify which life traps you get stuck in. And what I love about schema therapy is that we are looking at your core and at what are some of those guiding lights in a way or guiding forces that contribute to your thoughts and feelings and actions that lead you to live within your life. And what I love about 
how he talks about people pleasing is that it's really about this allowing others to dominate you and feeling controlled by others. So the life trap is called subjugation. And in subjugation, you self-sacrifice in an attempt to avoid punishment or abandonment, believing that your thoughts and feelings are not valid or important to others. And so oftentimes when someone is stuck in subjugation, this is someone who puts on a facade or a mask of happiness and gives up their own needs. And also one of the stories in my book, I didn't sign up for this, talks about people pleasing and how this is impacting her relationship. There's one last definition around people pleasing that I want to add to our conversation here. And that is that you are not manipulating people if you are a people pleaser. Manipulation is a conscious thought. When you are manipulating someone, it sounds like I want to do X, so they will do Y. I'm going to do X to get them to do Y. And I think it's really important for us to acknowledge that people pleasing often comes from a subconscious or unconscious place, that we learn to please others at a really young age, from early childhood experiences, from significant relationships. And people pleasing is a form of safety, is a form of feeling connected to the other person, is a form of trying to get away from rejection, from criticism. And it is an unconscious process due to so many of these experiences that it is anything but manipulation. And so I'll leave you with this around the definition of people pleasing to remember that people pleasing comes from unconscious mechanisms that are strongly rooted in our attachment relationships with our parents. And that being able to recognize that we are in fact people pleasing can be so powerful for us to start to bring awareness to when this is happening, what's happening inside of us before we step into that pleasing behavior, and then also to slow things down so that we can start to make a change. I'm going to add more to our understanding of people-pleasing because I think this will also help you understand how you want to respond to those bids for connection. There are two types of people-pleasers. The first type is one that is aiming for affiliation. And we are people pleasing, therefore, out of a feeling of guilt. So this is someone who is trying to gain approval from someone else. They want to be liked from someone. They might be trying to meet everybody's needs. They give up themselves. They self-sacrifice. They abandon their own needs and wishes all out of avoiding feeling guilt. They hold a lot of empathy and that this is a sense of voluntary people pleasing. You might be known as a fixer. So perhaps as a child, you saw others in pain and you felt their needs were more of a priority over yours. The second type of people pleasing is someone who people pleases out of fear of rejection and criticism. This person enters into people pleasing due to fear. They are afraid of being rejected criticized or punished. Whether you have a choice or not, people in this type of people pleasing feel as though they don't have a choice. And as a child, you likely people pleased in order to avoid punishment or the threat or real experience of abandonment. And likely because your parent threatened you or withdrew their love as a way to get you to be good. Let me redefine people-pleasing here as an adaptive behavior. You have a superpower. You have this ability to attune to others and their internal experiences. 
in general, you are an empathic, thoughtful, and caring person, and that you have learned to tune into others as a way to monitor your environment. And I think it's really important for us to understand that this comes from this space of trying to stay safe. And when I say that, what I mean is that we are trying to stay emotionally connected with our caregivers or loved ones. And by doing that, that is what has led us to feed into that pleasing behavior. From a nervous system perspective, entering into people pleasing might be a form of combating that stress experience, which would be the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn mode. I want to remind you of this, that as an adult, you need to recognize that what you did in those earlier years to stay safe is no longer necessary, that this is a superpower of yours to build connection with others. And at times you can learn to turn this superpower down because it's important for you to also be able to get your own needs met because this is how you build that healthy interdependence in a relationship. Let's shift into talking about bids for connection. So what are bids for connection? Bids for connection can be any verbal or nonverbal indication from your partner that they are looking to reach out to you. It might be a glance over the table while the kids are melting down that you cut off their crust over the toast. That would be a nonverbal gesture. It might be their hand on your back at the end of the day or as you're making dinner. Nonverbal gesture. Or there are things that are verbally said that might not even sound like I'm trying to get your attention, but are ways that they are trying to reach you. And it's almost like saying, do you see me? Can you see me? Can you notice me? Verbal expressions might be something like, had a really hard day today, or it might rain today. It might also sound like, gosh, this was so hard when I got this text from my mom. So a bid for connection can be any verbal or non-verbal expression from your partner. And what often happens in our relationship as we progress into busier and difficult seasons is that we stop responding to these bids for connection. And let's just call this out for what it is here. Our phones being constantly connected to the outside world is impacting our ability to connect with what is right in front of us. So when you're on your phone and you're sitting on your couch and your partner sits down, as you're on your phone, you are not attuning to what's happening to your partner or for your partner in that moment. And this is those moments that we want to be able to see what's happening on their face. How did they flop down on the couch? Was it a gentle sitting down or was it a heavy one? Did they sigh? Did they have a look of um, pain or anxiety on their face? So when it comes to these bids for connection, there are three ways that we can respond. And this is talked about so beautifully by doctors John and Julie Gottman. And I want to emphasize that what they find in couples in the research that they've done in their couples lab is that partners who turn towards each other with kindness more frequently are more likely to be satisfied and continue to be connected in their follow-up studies. So this is why responding to those bids is really important. Okay, there are three ways to respond to bids. One, we turn towards our partner 
and we turn towards them with kindness, curiosity, and empathy. And we look at them and say, what's happening for you in this moment? Oh, I see this look on your face. Can you tell me more about that? If they touch your back, you look at them, you pause what you're doing, you put your arm on their shoulder and you say, hey, I see you. Or when they give you that look over the table when the kids are melting down, you look back at them and you raise your eyebrows with them, right? Those are these moments of connection that go a really long way. And you can think of these responding and turning towards as these drops in the bucket. Doctors John and Julie Gottman talk about making these deposits into our love bank and how important that is because then during stressful moments, we have an abundance in our love bank account. So turning towards... Then we also have turning away. Turning away looks like staying on your phone when they sit down beside you. When they say something like, gosh, I had such a stressful day and you go, "Mm," and say nothing else. When they say something and you actually walk out of the kitchen and you don't say anything in response. These turning away moments are so difficult in our relationship because we are our attachment figures We are the person that lets our partner know that this is safe between us, that we are securely connected, that we can talk about all of the hard things. And when you are stressed and anxious, I'm going to be there and respond to you. But when we turn away from our partner, it sends this danger message to their brains that says, I'm not there for you. What you are experiencing isn't important to me. And I have other things that are more important. And gosh, I know that phone experience. I know being pulled into it because I am so overstimulated and numbed out at the end of the day. And yet when we can start shifting out of being pulled away from responding to our partner and towards them, we can remind ourselves that connection can also be a form of regulating our nervous systems as well. Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Okay, we have turning towards, turning away. And then the third way that we can respond to bids for connection is turning towards unkindly. Your partner says, I had such a stressful day today. And you respond with, again, you're always so stressed. What are you stressed about now? And so in a way, we respond to them with defensiveness, criticism, contempt, and we say something harsh and unkind, and we lose that empathy, validation, and understanding for what our partner is experiencing. When I think about bids for connection, I often think about living moment to moment and in the present. When we are on autopilot, when we are, you know, autopilot is the experience of getting in the car after work, getting home and saying, I actually don't even remember how I got here. Or if you are making dinner and then you leave the room to get something, but then you forget about the pot of boiling water in the kitchen. I've done that too many times. We all live on autopilot at times because it's a way that we reserve 
energy in our brain, in our body. And yet when we are on autopilot, we are also at risk for losing the connection with those around us. We don't hear our partners. We don't see them. And so I come back to living breath by breath, being in the moment, being attuned to ourself and to someone else. And this will also help our people pleasers decide how we want to respond in these moments. Because if we can be present within ourself, within our environment and with our partners, then we can make choices that are going to be aligned for us and what feels good. Let me jump into a little bit of what I teach inside my book. And this is around interdependence. I also teach this inside Be Connected. And it's something that we really don't learn within our early childhood experiences or when it comes to building a healthy relationship. So oftentimes we lose this idea that we are two separate selves, that we each have our own thoughts, feelings, opinions, desires, wishes, and values. And there's nothing wrong with either one, you or your partners. And I I use my hands to close circles because that represents this autonomous part, this differentiation. I am different from you. I have a separate self than you. Neither one of us are bad or wrong. We are both okay. Gosh, how powerful that is, right? I mean, I think of sitting with my children and despite my own feelings, I can sit with them and say, gosh, I see you. This is so hard for you. And inside I'm saying to myself, and I'm also okay. And my feelings matter here too, right? There's this self and other piece, or I do this with Greg, you know, if he's upset about something, I can say, this is his experience. He's allowed to have experience this experience in this moment. And this is not about me and my lovability. Oftentimes, though, we grew up in environments that were filled with shame, emotional neglect, minimization, deflection. And what happens then is we internalize and personalize and we become fused and codependent with another person. So instead of being two separate circles, we blend into each other. We're fused. We're attached to the other person. There's no separation. I can't see two different people. And it sounds like you make me mad when you, you make me angry. You're never going to, right? So we lose that separation. The separation sounds like I have a separate self. I can come together and be with you in this way. And we can find a way that works for both of us. Healthy interdependence is about finding that differentiation and the autonomy while also then balancing the piece around connection, the piece around intimacy of being able to say, I see you, I see me, this feels good for us. Let's return to today's question, which is if we are a people pleaser, a caregiver, or an empath, how do we then navigate responding to the bids for connection from our partner? One of the first things that you can start doing is to give yourself more space and time. Knowing that you have a knee-jerk and automatic reaction to respond quickly to loved ones, and whether this stems from guilt or fear of criticism or rejection, either one, you want to give yourself more space, more space pausing. And actually, this is a really great principle to live by is that in anything that we do, if we are more intentional with slowing down, noticing our breath and just tuning inwards to what is happening inside of us, this is a really good skill in acknowledging what our needs are, acknowledging how we want to move forward, acknowledging our thoughts and feelings. 
being able to give space to just recognizing what's inside of us, what's happening for us and allowing this to be. So it doesn't have to be that we have to have a decision right away in terms of what we want to do. It's just this idea of, oh, I'm seeing this bid for connection and I'm going to pause in this moment. I want to also give you this piece, which is acknowledging that you responding to your partner's bid is not a giving up of the self. I've talked about the autonomy and the connection and balancing both pieces in a healthy interdependent relationship. So perhaps what this is, is actually acknowledging that there is a bit in front of you and responding isn't necessarily meant to be the, I am going to give you everything that you need in this moment. Let me just say that one more time to make sure it's clear. By responding to your partner's bid, it does not mean that you are abandoning yourself and giving them everything that they need in that moment. I'll frame this in our understanding of attachment security. We know that in order to develop secure attachment between parent and baby, we need to meet only 30% of our child's signals. Let's just sit in that in a moment. A lot of the mothers I work with will say just 30%. And that's really important for us to see that if you are responding to 30% of the bids for connection from your child, there are signals of distress. There are moments where they're saying, I need you, I need you. It's only 30%. And this is so important because what this says to us is that in order to be a good enough mother, in order to be a good enough caregiver, it is not the expectation that you meet every single one of the needs of the person in front of you. I always use this example when it comes to teaching us how we respond to our kids. Imagine you are holding a boiling pot of water and you have to go and dump it. Otherwise it overflows and it's going to make a mess in the kitchen. Just in that moment, as you're grabbing the boiling pot of water, your child comes over, is coming towards you saying, up, 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 mommy, mommy, mommy. And you can't possibly do both at the same time. They will get burnt. There will be danger. And you say, back up, back You have to step back. No, I can't. I can't give you this hug right now. Stand back over there. I'm dumping the water. Yes, I know, love. This is really hard. Oh, you're crying so much. It's so hard that I'm not able to give you what I need right here in this moment. I will come to you in just a moment. What we're doing there is we're not immediately meeting their needs. We're seeing our part. We're seeing our children. We're seeing what's happening for them. And then we're going to respond to that bid after in the moments that we can. This is the same for our partners. When our partner comes to us and says, oh, I've had just an absolute stressful day. And you are finishing up the last 10 minutes of this big presentation that you have to give the next day. It does not mean that you have to stop and give into your partner in that moment when you have a need at that time. Another example, you are to the point of overstimulation and absolutely hangry. And your partner says, we really need to talk about what we're going to do this weekend with my parents. And if you were to respond to that bid in that moment, Well, for me, I mean, personally, me getting hangry is not good news for us. And so what is more powerful is acknowledging the bid for connection. That is what is more important when it comes to bids for connection is that we're acknowledging our partner is coming to us and needing something, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we are giving them exactly what they need in that moment. 
turning towards our partner can be something like, I see you. Yeah, this is really hard right now. I see that you need to talk about this and this is something that is important to you. Let's park this and I will have time to do this after dinner. So what's important here is in a way to respond to our partner's bid for connection is that we are making a plan for when we can meet that need. So first pausing, giving yourself the opportunity to pause and notice what shows up for you when your partner is making a bid for connection. Tune into where you are in that time and space. Are you overstimulated? Are your buckets overflowing where you're just not able to give to your partner what it is that they need? And so acknowledging that they need something and then making a plan for when you can give that to them. The other piece that is really important here is that you as a people pleaser likely minimize your own needs, your own feelings and your own points of connection. And so what would be really important in this entire picture of you and your relationship is to practice putting your needs out there too. practice making those bids and saying to your partner, I need you. I would love to talk about this. Can you support me in some way? Can I share something with you? But please don't problem solve. I just need you to hear what it is that I'm saying. I often come to this place where people are looking for a right or wrong level in terms of what it means to be responding to each other, to be supporting each other. And instead, this response or the solution perhaps is rather what is going to work best for you and your partner. And in our relationship, it is not about everything's going to work all for me or it's going to work all for my partner. And because people pleasers tend to put their needs and wishes to the side, it can sometimes feel like we are always giving into our partner and their needs, which is why it is equally important for people pleasers to step out of that wishing to please, that fear of rejection, criticism, or that feeling of guilt and stepping in into that relational arena, getting vulnerable and doing some of those hard and uncomfortable things. What I've learned over time working with couples is that your partner does want to be there to support you. Most partners want to do that because as a result, they also feel close and connected. And so when we give them that chance to support us, it can help to create a balance or I don't want to say equilibrium because it's not um, equal in relationships, but it creates this opportunity to see each other. And this, in essence, is what we're looking for in our relationship is the ebbs and flows, the back and forth of supporting each other, of leaning on each other when one person is struggling and also offering that security, that comfort and support. I would love to hear from you. If you have a question for the podcast, head to my website to submit it, drtracyd.com forward slash podcast. One of the best things that you can do to support me would be to subscribe to the podcast and also leave a review. You can click the stars. You can leave me a few words and let me know what you thought of today's episode. You can also head to my website for additional free resources. I have my 100 questions to deepen your conversations with your partner. These questions are not just about intimacy. These questions are around getting to know the inside parts of your loved one. And I'm hearing from many of you just how fun these have been for you and your partner to do together and to step outside of the day-to-day grind, the mundane parts, the, hey, do you have the splash pants? who's doing drop off and to help deepen that connection with your partner. And all of that can be found at drtracyd.com. 
All right, wrapping up another session here. I'm grateful that you clicked play, that you joined me today here on the podcast. This has been something that has been truly meaningful to me. And I love receiving your DMs, your comments, your reviews, and of course, your questions here on the podcast. Thank you for joining me for another episode. And I'm wishing you a connected week. Until next time, take good care of you. Remember, this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not substitute for the care from a licensed mental health care provider. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.